Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. So as Brett said, I'm preaching from the subject, Sola Scriptura. Can you say Sola Scriptura? Sola Scriptura, it's a Latin phrase. Sola Scriptura means, you'll see it there in the quotes, Scripture alone. Now this phrase, it was, it, it's an old Protestant Reformation phrase, meaning Scripture alone, and it was used to oppose the idea that we are given a, an authority that is equal to or higher than the Scriptures. That's what it's used for, and I, I want to leverage this idea of sola scriptura today um, to help us to understand that we don't have any higher authority, whether it be the church, whether it be entertainment, whether it be whatever it is, we have nothing that is driving us but the scriptures as Christians. Nothing is that authority. So I want to get right into it, and I am going to, if, has anybody um, read the Systematic Theology book by Wayne Grudem. Anybody? Okay, oh yeah, this is, this is a Bible-believing church. Um, it, it's a really big book. So I, this is where I get these points, but I changed them up a little bit because I'm, I'm a, a, an aspiring preacher and I like to use alliteration. So there are four points that, are going to, that I'm going to use to illustrate what this sola scriptura means. And the first one is this, the scriptures are supreme. So if you're familiar with this book, he would say that it is the authority of God. They are supreme. The scriptures are supreme in our lives. Why are the scriptures supreme? The scriptures are supreme because they are the word of God. The scriptures are supreme because they are God's word. Let's look at 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 16. It says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That phrase there that's underlined, all scripture is breathed out by God. Uh, the NLT, New Living Translation, it renders it, all scripture is inspired by God. It's inspired. I like both. I, bo both get it right. That, that we see here that, that it is breathed out by God, which gives us an imagery. It takes us back to the beginning that when God uh, created the world, he spoke it into existence. And so it helps us to understand that God is the author of scripture. That he is the one that spoke scripture into existence. This is why it is the authority of God. I like the, t I like the term inspired as well. Because inspired helps us to understand that God used people to write his word. He inspired human beings. He used their minds. He used their intellects. He used their emotions. He used the culture that they were in. He used the language that they were, that they were speaking at the time to write his word. What a profound God that we have. That he did not just throw the book down and we picked up this book, but he used people to write his book. And that should be encouraging to us going into 2021 that God can use us as well in certain ways. It's encouraging that God would choose sinful people to use in this way. So what this does for us is it helps us to understand that the scriptures are the authority. One great implication that I want to draw from this is that if the scriptures are the authority of God, then we as Christians, we can trust the promises in the scripture. We can trust that they are, like Paul says, they are yes and amen. They will happen in our lives. What God says will happen, it will happen. Can you say amen? It will happen in your life. That we can trust the promises of God. To illustrate this point, have you ever been, um, 
Have you ever gotten in trouble when, when I was a kid? This is what happened to me. You ever get in trouble for swearing? Uh, not, not cussing, you know, not cussing, but like swearing on something, making a promise. Like, I swear I took out the trash, or I swear I paid the bills, that kind of thing. You're, my parents used to get in trouble, or they used to yell at me for that. Don't swear, don't swear, don't swear. Why? Why, Mom and Dad, why can't I swear? I swear I took out the trash. First off, because they knew I was lying. That's one reason. <laughs> the second reason... The second reason is they didn't want me doing something that would bring about a consequence that I was unaware could actually happen. So what do I mean by, by that? When we swear, I swear on this thing that it's going to happen. When we swear, what we're doing is we are swearing on a power that is higher than us so that if we are lying, that power has the right to inflict the punishment to keep us in check and hold us accountable. So my parents are like, don't swear. You don't know what you're doing as a kid. Like, don't swear. You guys remember Abraham, right, in the Old Testament? Uh, God, God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, is one of our, like, our theme verses at the church. He says, I'm going to bless you. And Abraham looks to God and he says, well, okay, God, you're going to bless me, but can I be certain? Like, can I be certain that you're going to bless me? Can I, can I trust that that promise is going to happen in my life and what ends up happening? God says, okay, you want to trust me, I'm going to swear on something more powerful than me so that you know the promise is coming about so that you know you will be blessed. God looks around and of course he runs into an issue because what? There's no power, there's no authority, there's nothing greater than God, person or thing. Nothing is greater than God. And so he looks around and says, what does God have to do? He says, okay, I'm going to swear on myself. I'm going to swear on myself. And I'm going to really show and prove to you that the power, that the promise that I am going to bless you is going to happen in your life. So God tells Abraham, he says, okay, I want you to bring me some animals. I want you to bring me a pigeon. I want you to bring me a ram. I want you to bring me a dove and, and, a, and, and a lamb. I want you to bring those to me. And then he tells Abraham to cut the animals in half and to separate them. Now, it's a bit gruesome, but why does he do this? Because God then passes through the animals to illustrate a point to Abraham. In ancient Israel, what this meant was if you lied on the covenant or when you swore on something, what happened to those animals would happen to you. So God is saying, if I lie, I die. That's what God's saying. If I lie, Abraham, about the promise coming to you to bless you, then I die. Now that's good news for us because last time I checked, God is not dead. <laughs> God is not dead. Okay? So that means he can't lie. Not only that, but the very definition of God is that he, he, he cannot be created. He was not created, which means he cannot be destroyed. And if he cannot be destroyed, that means he did not die. That means he will not lie. And the promises of God are yes and amen in our life. Come on, going into 2021, the promises of God are yes and amen in your life. The promise, whatever that might be for you, if it's to keep you in perfect peace, that is a yes and amen in your life. If it's to give you complete joy, that is a yes and an amen in your life. If God's promising to heal your body, it's a yes and amen in your life. Whatever God has promised you in the scriptures, it is a yes and amen. It is a guarantee because God will not die because God cannot lie. And so it's a yes and amen in your life. That's a powerful truth. But what good is it if the promises are yes and amen in my life, but I don't know the promises? What good is that? I don't even know the promises, so how is that going to help me? It's one thing for me to sit up here and tell you, you get, get perfect peace and get joy and get all these things, and you can get this, that, and the other. Those are the promises of God for you. Believe it, believe it, believe it, but you're just going to be like, yeah, that's good, okay. But it's one thing for a preacher to tell you the promises of God in your life, but you've got to go to the Word of God 
to have faith that the promises are sure. So this is why I say I want the goal this year for us is to be to fill our soul with the scriptures. Because I need to know what God promised me. When I'm going through, Scott talked about the, the storms that I go through. I need to know that he's the peace in the storm. I need to know for certain that he is my joy and in his presence, that's what's happening there. I need to know that he can heal me. I need to know that he can help me emotionally when I'm losing it. I need to know that he can bring me back from my depression. I need to know that the stress that I'm going through, God will calm me down. Cynthia just prayed that you would comfort us by your word, Lord. That I need to know that he is the God of comfort. I need to know that. I, I, I can't just, you know, I appreciate the preachers. I, oh, I appreciate Brett like I can't even tell you. I appreciate it, but I need to know it for me. I need to go to the Word, and that's why I love Brett. That's why I love you and the elders, because you're encouraging us to go to the Word for ourselves. And the test was who, who read the Wayne Grudem. Y'all were on that. So we need to know. Fill your soul with the Scriptures. Now, some of us may be saying, okay, Simeon, that's good. Okay, I'm going to fill my soul with the Scriptures, 2021. But... The problem is, I can't understand it. I can't understand. How many are like that? Don't raise your hand, and I'm not even going to look at anybody. But I can't, under, I can't understand the scriptures. Like, I mean, you just told me it's God's word. You told me it's the authority of God. I mean, God is an amazing God. How am I supposed to understand that? What? How am I supposed to understand God's word? Then I would say that, 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 that is a common misunderstanding about the scriptures, that God, kind of like a university professor that's too smart to convey information to his students, God can't get me his word. He can't teach me because he's too smart. He's above me. He's beyond me. So I was like, why would I even try and read God's word? It's for the, it's for the pastors. It's for the elite. When I was in school, this is what happened to me. I mean, I, I had one teacher, and he, he was a chemistry teacher, and he was just too smart. I just couldn't understand it. I mean, he would come in, and everybody failed his class. I was like, why is everyone failing your class? Well, I sat down, and I realized, I was like, that's why. The dude was just too smart. He would say equations and stuff, and we're just like, okay, we're going to go to Khan Academy and learn this and pass this class. So I started operating under the assumption that the smarter you are, the less chance I have to understand you. So I get to RTS this semester, and I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble, because these master-level theologians are just going to, they're too smart for me. But I come to learn something that that's not the case, because yes, brains is one thing, and it's hard to understand someone that's smart, but if they are also competent to communicate then I can understand them. And so that's the second point here is that the scriptures are straightforward. The scriptures are straightforward. The idea that the scriptures are straightforward is that, are straightforward is that the scriptures are clear. They, they're, they're, they're easy to understand. This doesn't mean we don't wrestle with hard, difficult passages. why God blesses us with teachers and preachers. But, the, but, but ultimately, the promise is, like, how difficult is it to know that in his presence is peace? Like, that's not difficult to understand. The scriptures are straightforward for God's people. It's clear. It's easy to understand. We need to understand this, that God, God is a communal God. That means he desires to communicate with us, his people. Not only that, but God is a competent God. That means he can communicate with his people. So this communal competent God speaks in his scriptures in a clear and concise way for his people. He speaks to us clearly, plainly, because he wants us to understand. He wants to speak to his people. This is good for us because now, 2021, our goal is to fill our soul with the scriptures. We can be confident that we can understand it. We can be confident that it's comprehensible. If you are a Christian as of today, 
you can go home and read the scriptures and understand the promises of God for your life. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, the Holy Spirit will help you to interpret that and help you to understand that. So you can have confidence that God wants to speak to you. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm off on a little tangent here, but it, it bothers me a little bit when people are like, well, I want God to speak to me. Like, I want God to speak to me. Why is God not speaking to me? Well, he spoke to you in a book. Like, all right. All right. Let's, let's, let's just keep going. Um, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 30. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, I want to illustrate this point. Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses, um, Deuteronomy is a book that Moses is kind of reiterating the law and the commands that he gave to the people for 40 years. He's, he's dealing with these hard-headed people that are kind of obeying, not obeying, and, and that kind of thing. So he's reiterating, and Moses is 120 years old, and he's passing off power to Joshua, this younger leader who's going to take them into the promised land. And he stands up before the people and he starts to reiterate the law. And he starts to tell them, hey, look, if you obey God in this time of transition, kind of like us going from 2020 to 2021, if you obey God, there will be blessings. If you do not obey God, there will be curses. I'm sure if you can look over your life back that year, that 2020, though, there was COVID. There's many, many hard things that we had to deal with. But all the things that really were bad that happened to you were probably your own problem. It's probably sin. It's probably something that we did. It was probably something. I know that's, that's true for me, is that I usually bring about the issue on myself. And Moses is like, look, look, people, obey God's word. Because the, here's the thing about the promises of God is they encompass both the blessings and the curses. No one's really told us that, right? I mean, the, the, the promises of God are just the blessings. Yeah, he's going to bless us. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, I, if, if you obey him to get the blessing, you, that will happen. But if you obey the sin, the curse is going to follow. And so you can feel Moses' fervor. I mean, he, he's passionate about the people because he don't want them to be cursed. He loves them. He loves the people. Please obey God, he says to them. Obey God. Go back to God's word. When you fall and you stumble, go back to God's word. And so it's in that kind of tenor that we come to the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And Moses says this to the people. He says, this command that I command you today is not far off, for, is not hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us to bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Verse 14, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you can do it. Notice verse 11. It's, it's, it's underlined there. It is not hard for you. That is just simply to say that it's easy. It's easy to understand. Moses is like, it, 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 obey God's word and it's easy. And then he goes on in verse 14, he says, the word of God is very near you. It's very near you, which helps us to understand that it's not far away. It's not, it's not up on the mountain where Moses would have to go and ascend to the mountain in Mount Sinai to understand God's word and sit face to face with God and then bring it back down to the people and then go back up and get the law. He had to do this for many years. But Moses is saying, look, this, this, this time has come that I'm leaving. I've already gotten all the words for you. I've got the, the scriptures that you need, and I'm giving them to you, and I'm writing them down, and I've done this as a scribe. Now I want you to understand it's right here with you. It's not hard to understand. And it is not far off. I, I used to love going to MLB games. I said I used to. Uh, MLB games are a bit long nowadays. But I used to love going to MLB games, these Major League Baseball games, with my father. And we would go to the games, and, and Dad, like any good parent-teacher kind of person, uh, he loves to repeat himself. Uh, he loves to say the thing over and over and over again. He almost just, I like, can't help it. 
Um, and so we would go to the game, and every single time, you guys know there's the outfielders in the outfield, and every time an outfielder would kind of run a ball down, like the ball would fly out, they would run it down and make this a nice catch, dad would go, whoa, whoa, man, they, he would look at me and like, he'd look at us boys and say, man, they make that look easy. I was like, yeah, dad, they do. They make that look easy. And, and then he would go on, he would proceed, he would go on to say, you know, Sam, that, that, that's, that's, that's what a professional does. And he would go on and explain what a professional does. A professional makes something difficult look easy. That's what he would always say. And I was like, I think, yeah, okay. That's a good definition. I like it in part. But, but it, it, it helps us to understand a point here. That sometimes the church will hire a professional pastor. Will hire a professional pastor. And the professional pastor will make the difficult thing for us look easy. And, the, and we kind of know, like, we're average people. We're like, well, we know we couldn't do. We couldn't do that. Like, we can't preach like that. Or we can't, we can't read the word of God like that. So, man, what an amazing person. Kind of like the fly ball. We couldn't do that. But, man, that professional made that look easy. Good job. But that's a problem because though, though there are gifts of teaching and preaching, it, it, it indirectly brings us to this place of thinking that it's just difficult and it's hard and it's for the intellectually astute and it's for the preachers to read the word and, oh, man, I love how passionate he is. I wish I could be like that. It, 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 this was not a per, it's not for the professionals. It's not for the professionals. God doesn't want to just speak to the Moses up on the mountain, but he wants, wants to speak to the Israelite in the valley. He wants to speak to all of his people. He longs for it. He wants to so desperately and so bad, and we have so many so many Bibles to be able to actually get this done. And look at verse, uh, the end of verse 14. It says, it is in, if we can go to the, oh, there it is. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. The word of God, so that you can do it. Remember, we're still on straightforward. It is in your mouth and in your heart. Here, here's here's what, I, what, I, what I'm seeing with this, is that if the word of God is going to be straightforward, clear, concise, it's just, it's simple. If it's straightforward for us, we actually have to take it off the dusty shelf and put it in our hearts. Got to meditate on it. We got we to put it in the hearts. Or if I could bring this closer to home, we got to not just download it into our phones, but we got to download it to our hearts. I think that's what's going on right there. So that you can do it. Got to approach the word to apply the word. Approach it to apply it. Listen to the wording there. Approach it to apply it. We approach it to apply it. Because if we do not approach the word to apply the word, we will approach it, really listen to this, in passivity. Okay, we'll approach it in passivity, which guarantees inactivity. What that means is when we come here on Sundays, this is an example, don't come here with the bless me if you can attitude. You know what I'm talking about? Go ahead, Brett. Preach as good as you can if you can bless me. Good job. If you can't, eh. You understand what I'm saying? Let me continue then. What I mean is, come expectant. That not Brett's going to speak to you, but God's going to speak to you. And when God speaks to me, I, I can take it and I can apply it. Because I can see the blessing. I can see the promise in my life. Come expectant. Sitting out, I like how we kind of pray before the sermon. It's just an expectant attitude that God is going to speak 
that God is going to speak. And if God speaks, I can apply it. Approach it to apply it. I didn't just say apply it. Approach it to apply it. Expecting in faith that God is going to speak to me on Sunday. Coming. That's why sometimes when we're up on cloud nine and, man, life is just good, it's kind of hard to come to church. Because you come to church and it's like, whatever, man, life is good. Anyways, I don't need any promises. I don't need anything. But when you're kind of down in the valley and you're low, you come expecting. Man, I need a word this Sunday. Like, I really need you to say something that's going to get me going. But I'm telling you, with the preached word of God, God's always wanting to speak to his people. So if we approach it to apply it, we will end up applying it. We will because God will speak to us. Or in your devotionals in the morning. Ah, just come on, get it done. Okay, we're done. Boom. Or even worse, if you got the phone, you can just kind of listen to it and forget what you heard. But approach your devotionals to apply your devotionals. Apply the word for the blessings of God in your life. But now we're going to get into some of the real good stuff. Because what good is it to apply the scriptures if I miss the significance of salvation in the scriptures? The third point is that the scriptures are significant. The scriptures are significant because the scriptures are significant because they deliver the promise of salvation. The scriptures are significant because they deliver the promise of salvation. No matter what we go through in life, you go through hell, you go through high water, I lost my house, lost this, lost that, my kid's going off and not following the Lord. Whatever issues we go through, I couldn't pay the bills, COVID was a racket stink. Like all these issues that we legitimately go through and grieve the heart of God. No matter what we go through, there is no issue, there is no problem like our sin problem. I didn't hear any amens, I got you. <laughs> Why'd you bring it up? Yeah, there's no problem like our sin problem that separates us from God. There's nothing like it. That means there's no solution as significant as salvation. Because it solves our sin problem. Salvation does that. It solves our sin problem. Therefore, if we're going to read 2021, we're going to read the scriptures. We're going to fill our soul with the scriptures. We're going to do this. We're going to go after it. In order to read the scriptures properly, I know this is rudimentary and I love it. I want it to be simple. If we're going to read the scriptures properly... We must apply the message of salvation first. We must apply salvation first. Because the Bible, the scriptures are not a self-help book. They are a salvation book. That's what they are. They're not a self-help book. They are a salvation book. So in order to read it properly, I must see salvation in it. Any issue that it solves, any promise that it delivers that is not the promise of salvation misses its most potent promise. It misses it. I'm not saying these things are bad. I'm not saying that, that it doesn't have any other promises. No, it definitely has other promises. But the promise of salvation through grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is by far the most significant promise we could ever have in the scriptures. Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter 10. He understands this and he says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 6. He, he takes the Deuteronomy passage and he kind of shows the significance of Christ and the fulfillment of Christ in it. Verse 6, it says, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. See, notice that Paul is inserting Jesus into the text, in the, in the Deuteronomy text. He just put Jesus in there. 
So what is he doing? He's helping us to understand that as Moses ascended into the, into, onto the mountain to get the word of God, to bring it to the people, Jesus was up in heaven and came down and brought the word to us. For, because the word became flesh and it dwelt amongst us. Jesus comes down and Moses made it attainable for the people. He went up and he went back down and he went up and he went back down. And Jesus prayed and he came and he lived a sinless life and he took our sin and he died on a cross and he gave us his righteousness. And he says, you are right before God. You are justified before God if you believe in me. And he makes it attainable for us. He makes it accessible. He makes it simple and plain for us to receive. And then verse 8 says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I love it. The word is near you. It's in your mouth, and it is in your heart. It's speaking about downloading Jesus into your heart. I just talked about downloading the word off your phone into your heart. It's talking about downloading Jesus into your heart. How do we do that? It's right there in verse 9. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died for you. That's how Jesus enters into our lives. This is so important. So, so, so important because a lot of people believe Jesus died. A lot of people believe it. Trust me. Everybody believes it. A lot of people believe it. But not a lot believe the significance of that, that he died for our sin problem. Not a lot of people believe that truth. And we have decided to believe and follow Jesus and commit our lives to him. And we're going to conclude here with the final point. Um, this final point is very dear to my, my heart because I've asked this question. And, and if you're a youth, you, you, I mean, you just kind of already know where I'm going. Um, to me, I ask the question. Okay, and remember the goal is to fill the soul with the scriptures. If, if, I'm just being honest here. If I've already received the gospel, right? You know, I believed in him. I've put my faith in him. I've trusted him and he's taken care of my sin problem. I'm right before God. I'm not going to be separate. And he's given me the promised Holy Spirit into my life. Like Jesus has done that when I believed in him. And the Holy Spirit's actually in me, not kind of like theoretically in me, but actually in me. The Holy Spirit's in me. I have that. Um, what good is the gospel for me now? Oh, gosh, I'm honest. Don't be honest. What good is it now? Have you ever thought that? Looking straight ahead. <laughs> what good is it now? If we're honest. Right? I mean, I understand that, that, that one, one, one way, it's good in a million ways, but one way is, of course, we take it and we preach it to other people. But what? For my soul, like my, my soul, let me help you. My, my soul is my mind, my will, my emotions, my, my intellect, my inner being, everything that you don't see, who, what makes me me, like that's my soul. Like what good is the gospel for my soul? What good is it? What good is it? I'm already saved. I'm already with Christ. If I die, I'm good. I'm straight. What good is it? It's a good question. It's a good question. This is what I labor to teach the youth because I just, I, I think as a, as a young person, it's like, I've already heard it. <laughs> I've heard the gospel. I've received. Like, let's go have fun. <laughs> right? Like, let's go have fun. So, so is it relevant? Is it for me? The, here's, here's the point right here. The scriptures are sufficient for satisfaction. 
the scriptures are sufficient for satisfaction. Now, this is, this is incredibly relevant, especially for us Americans, because the reason our souls, our mind, our will, our emotions, the reason we are so not satisfied is because we tend to fill our souls with many different distractions. We tend to fill our souls with distractions. I mean, there's all kinds of different things, entertainment, stress. We fill that. We, I mean, we, we, give, we, give, we give ear to it, and we fill our souls, our mind, our will, our emotions. We get emotional about things we shouldn't get emotional about. We just kind of feel it, and it's natural. We can't help it. So we just conform to it, and we fill it, and we get very dissatisfied very easily, especially in a consumer culture like ours. It's just so easy. I mean, I fill my soul with food. I fill my soul with entertainment. I fill my soul with all kind of things that you wouldn't even necessarily consider a bad thing. I get emotional about football. I'm going to confess today. I get emotional about football. Steelers started 11-0. Lost two games. It hurt. It really hurt. It really hurt. I'm not joking. Um, it really hurt. But in all reality, like, I, I, I really, like, gave kind of, I give a part of my soul to that. And I feel it. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with football. But it's, it's, it's just kind of who we are as people. We can't help but, like, get, get our souls so attached to other things. And it dissatisfies us. So if the scriptures actually becomes that, that, that satisfaction for our souls, then imagine what that could be for 2021. To fill your soul with the scriptures, the word of God. What would that do? If it actually, if, I, if, I'm, being, if, I'm, if I'm telling the truth, if it really does satisfy, if it does, and, I, and it definitely does, and, and it's in a most profound way. It's, it's the scriptures, but also the gospel, the gospel through the scriptures. How does this work, you might ask? When, when Jesus comes, he, he, he died for us. We received, and we just talked about that, we have been justified by faith, and that means we are made right by, before God. That's what that means, to be justified, to be made right. But something that we don't do well, and we don't talk a lot about this, is we are also what theologians, they call sanctified. We are sanctified, and that's a process. That's what it says in Romans 12, to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That means your soul now needs to become pure. It needs to become right. It needs to start to become righteous, and that is a process. That is a process in the scriptures with the Holy Spirit. Because remember, you have the Holy Spirit as, as a Christian. If you are a Christian, you believed in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. In you. The Holy Spirit's job is to take the scriptures and to sanctify your soul. The Holy Spirit's role is to take the scriptures and to get you to apply them so you become clean in the inside. So you're emotional about the things of God. So you think about the things of God. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. And you can see Satan in the world. What is the world trying to do? The world's like, ooh, don't listen to the Holy Spirit. Like, focus on this over here. Focus on that. And it's so hard as Christians to really get to the scripture. It's a distraction. It's a great strategy by the devil if you think about it. But if we understand what the role of the, of, of, of the Spirit is in us, then we can actually start to act on it. That's his role is to do that now. This is, this is what blows my mind. Here's the next part. When our souls are pure, the promise then becomes, the promise now becomes, Jesus comes and dwells with our soul. Or what they would call, the old reformers called it, commune with our souls. 
Old reformers, they actually believe, just like we, uh, we come up, and I know Brett's like burdened over not doing communion, and we're going to start doing it because it's just like we have to as believers. This is why, because when we take communion, they believed, and we still believe this, that Jesus literally comes, not physically, but, but in, mo- in, in the soul. He comes and he dwells with us, his saints. You know, come on, we need Jesus to dwell with us, oh, like badly, especially in a time like this. So that's what happens in communion. But they said even more so. Like, they, they, they believe this, and it's true, and I'm going to show you Jesus believes it, too. They believe that when the word of God is preached, when the word of God is preached, Jesus comes and dwells with your soul. The purified soul, the sanctified soul, Jesus comes and dwells with your soul. And so, think about this. Does that mean, like, when I sin, Jesus doesn't dwell with me? No, but yes. Why? Because a defiled soul doubts. A defiled soul doubts. And you, can't, you have to receive Christ as a Christian. I'm speaking to Christians. As a Christian, you must receive Christ through faith. Ephesians chapter 3. You must receive him that he would come and dwell with your soul through faith. And so if we're constantly being mucked up as Christians, it creates a soul of doubt. And that doubt destroys the promise of the presence of God in our lives. This is, this is deep. Can you track me? But watch this. Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 21. I would really ask you to really focus up here because this is, this, is, this is good stuff. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and he will come to him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Now, I wish I could have read the whole chapter. I mean, that whole, that chapter, John chapter 14, Lord have mercy. Go back home and start 2021 with John chapter 14 and then get into the first John. Verse 21 and verse 23, he it is who loves me, who keeps his commands. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So what is Jesus teaching? Jesus is teaching, got to watch the order of these things as well. Jesus is teaching that if you love him, you will obey him. You will obey him. Okay? John, uh, Paul teaches in, in Romans chapter 5 that the Holy Spirit, remember I said the Holy Spirit is in you if you are a Christian, that the Holy Spirit of love comes in uh, and literally is in you, and that is the spirit of love. He gives you love. And we'll see this in 1 John. He gives you the love of God. It's actually impossible to love if you're not a Christian. Because God is love, and he puts love inside of you. And so when you are regenerated, is what they would call it, when we believe in Jesus and we are changed, the spirit of God, the spirit of love is put inside of us, and it compels us to do what Jesus commands us to do. We will do that. Now, it doesn't mean we won't have backsliding days and months and maybe even years, but, 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 but ultimately there's something in us that starts saying, man, I want to do right. Like, I just, I kind of want to now. Why? 
because the Holy Spirit of God is in you. You can't have an encounter with God, like a real, real, real encounter with God for the Holy Spirit to come in you without something happening. Like it just doesn't happen. Something will happen when the Holy Spirit is put inside of you. It's love, and this is what Jesus is saying, that when the Holy Spirit is put in you, something changes. My mind, my will, my emotions, my soul starts to change. It starts to shift. I start to think about Jesus more. I start to get more emotional about him. I start to cry when I usually wouldn't cry. I start to want to leave the party, or I want to not smoke, or I want to not do this, and I want to not do that. Doesn't Again, doesn't mean I won't struggle, but it means I want to follow Jesus. I want to. I long to. That's not you. You didn't do that. God did that to you. He put the Holy Spirit of God inside of you, and it changed you. And you're like, what is happening to me? That's what Jesus is saying. The love of God has been put down inside of us. It's incredible. It's incredible. But watch what happens when the love of God is put inside of you, and watch the sequence. The love is put in you. Now you begin to obey. Watch what happens when we obey. Jesus says, I will love him and manifest myself to him. I will manifest myself to him. And again, we, him and the Father, will come to him and make our home with him. This. What happens then is when the Spirit of God is put inside of us, the love of God is put inside of us, and he compels us to obey. And you guys remember when you first became a Christian, you were like, whoa, yeah. You're just running like all God, and then it kind of dies out a little bit, and then you kind of have it again. You have these seasons, but when you're obeying, you get, I mean, like, you're like, whoa, like, there's a lot of purity that just kicks in in all areas. Like, you're just sanctified. He compels you to obey Jesus. What happens? You kind of get, like, this, this joy. Like, you really do, and you can't really explain it. You just get happy. Like, you get joy. No matter what you're going through in life, you're just like, man. Like, I am satisfied. I am happy. I'm excited. I don't know why. I'm obeying Jesus. Uh, like, literally, the, the house just fell down, but I'm still, like, what is going on in my life? I can go through hell. I can go through high water, but I can still have joy and satisfaction. What is going on? It's because you're obeying the commands of God with the Holy Spirit inside of you. He's sanctifying you, and it's giving you the promise of Jesus dwelling in your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, satisfied by the scriptures satisfied absolutely essential to fill our souls with the scriptures absolutely essential to fill our souls with the scripture now if this is true then i have one application that can be done in a couple ways i don't know why i had to overcomplicate it the application is this diligently seek jesus diligently seek jesus in the scriptures. Now I said this during your daily devotions and engaging in weekly sermons. Seek him. Because what happens when we seek him diligently? It says in, in Hebrews 11 that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What happens when we diligently seek Jesus when the word of God is preached? We love him. We learn to love him more and more and more. All the competing loves that we have, they start to fall off to the side. 
they start to die away. And we think we're doing it ourselves, but I'm telling you, it's really the Holy Spirit inside of you, compelling you to love him more. And when the word of God is preached and when the truth of God is preached to a congregation, even though you're already saved, it's still incredibly significant and relevant for you because you can say yes and amen. That is true. And it makes me love Jesus even more. Like, I can't believe he took out my sin. I can't believe he did this for me. You start to fall deeply, passionately in love with him. And the more that happens, the more you obey him, the more he dwells with you. And people are looking at you from the world like, why do you have joy? Like, why are you happy? Like, why are you satisfied? What is going on with this person? This person is weird. How do they have this? Aren't you human? But that's because we seek Jesus. I, I just, I, I wanted this to be very practical to you, but very helpful because I just get so frustrated when I want to get back to where I was. Like, I get frustrated, but I never know how to get there. Like, I was just so in love with him. All of a sudden, it's just like, man, I hate everything. <laughs> I'm just mad all the time. Like, how do I get back to loving? Like, how do I do that? And then you start to try and retrace your steps. Like, how did I do it? But I th this, is, this is how it gets done. Engage in your devotions. Seek Jesus. It's not a self-help book. Remember, set it all on purpose. Like, it's not just a book to help you in your finances. It's not just a book to help you in your relationships. It's not just a book, because if you use it as that, you're going to miss Jesus. And it might give a little temporal satisfaction, but it just becomes the same as, like, entertainment or any other distraction. It kind of just fills your soul with you. But if you see Jesus in the scriptures and you're gauging and you're looking for him and you're wanting to see, what did Jesus do for me? If I'm in the Old Testament, I'm reading through genealogies, what did he do for me? How did it, you're gauging with it. You will fall deeply in love with him and your soul will be sanctified because you will walk in obedience and Jesus will just commune with him, with you. It's a promise. It's a promise. To, to conclude, the Lord has um, showed me more specifically for, uh, well, actually, this wouldn't be this church. I think we're part of this, but I think it's the church as a whole. And then I'll bring it back down to here. Is, is we, I really believe, and this is, this is a struggle, but we've almost become like a novelty not just us, but the, the church. We've come, become like a novelty-seeking institution. What do I mean? We've become like a novelty-seeking institution. In other words, it's the bless me if you can attitude. It's the, man, is, 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 is Simeon going to say something that I haven't heard? <laughs> like, is Brett going to say something new? Because I've heard everything. I want something new. And, and, and trust me, I, I don't want to be too critical, but if you look around and you start watching some stuff, like sermons and things, you can kind of see it. It's just, it's what, it, you, you, as a pastor, you're almost pressed to come up with something that can kind of get people going a little bit. Like, oh, snap, I didn't see that coming. Like, that was awesome. That was dope. Novelty-seeking institution. We've just become people like, something new. Come on, something new, something new. And I believe that's actually very dangerous for the church. Because Jesus wants his people to be madly in love. And I've said this at youth group so much the last couple months because it's so true. It's like really wants us to be in love with the simple truths of the gospel. Like the simple truths, like the real, like, like the things that your kids can understand. Simple truths. He wants us to be deeply in love with those things. Passionate, crazy about them. And if we're not in love, if we're seeking novelty, we're seeking all these other things, what we end up doing is we're actually indirectly kind of passing over Jesus and saying, come on, give me something that Jesus has done or Jesus has said or all these other things. But if we can just get back to a place, 2021, when Brett stands up here to preach, when the other elders stand up here to preach, come expectant. 
come expecting, what is Jesus going to say today? How can I fall in love with Jesus more today? When I wake up and read my word daily and I'm filling my soul in 2021, what does Jesus want to say to me? How can I apply and love him more? That's, what, um, that's the attitude. That's the attitude we've got to have all year, all year. And we will become a church, not a novelty-seeking church, but a Christ-seeking church. Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness um, and just, just your love for us. Um, I pray, Lord, that we, it, it is difficult. It's difficult um, in, in America. It's just difficult. It's difficult to really fall in love with the simple truths of the gospel over and over and over again. But, Lord, 2021, I pray a blessing over this congregation, each one of us, that we would fall so deeply in love with you, Jesus. And you promised to come and commune with us. You promised to come with us, Lord Jesus. And you can't lie. And I don't know why, I just feel a burden for every soul here that, that we, Jesus, we want you. We want you. We want you so desperately in this new year. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the presents, but that's not what brings peace. Lead us to righteousness. Lead us to you. And each one of us individually fall deeply and madly in love with you. We can't do it on our own. It's got to be the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, your Holy Spirit, compel us to love you. Compel us to hear this, to pick this up, to receive this word. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's in your son's name. Amen. If uh, we would uh, stand up, I'm going to give us our benediction. It comes from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Go, church. Blessed to be a blessing. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.